Y'all, I'm just going to let you know that I am straight stoked to be here this morning. I usually, you know, I'm excited to be here, but last night I got so excited yesterday that I actually decided to post on Facebook, which I don't do very often. Um, I just get on there to creep on people. I don't ever actually like post anything most of the time. I use it to just, you know, like look at other people's pictures and stuff, right? Well, I was so excited as I was preparing the sermon for this week and that the stuff that God was giving me, he was just like opening up and I was like, dude, yes. I was like, yes, yes, yes. That's awesome. So I got so fired up and I wanted everybody to know that this service right here, this message that God has given me is coming straight from him. It's nothing I'm doing, but I am so excited about it. So excited. In fact, that on Facebook, I even did something that I said I would never do that I never do ever, even in texts. I used a little emoji, right? I don't ever use those emojis because I feel like that's a really like girl thing to do. I don't like to use emojis, but I did. I used the fire emoji and I said, this is gonna be straight fire this morning and it's coming straight from God, not from me, but I am so glad you're here because I promise you, you will be blessed by something that happens today. I promise because I know I am blessed to be here as I was preparing and what God was giving me, he was blessing me. So I just hope that comes through and out. If not, then I didn't do my job, but I think you will. I'm looking out, I'm seeing a lot of new faces. Um, just introduce myself real quick. Pastor Frank just told you who I am. My name's Jackson. I've been here from the very beginning. I love Lake Point. Um, I do whatever I can to help Lake Point. I'm also a school teacher. I teach sixth grade at Woodland Middle School. Um, so being in front of people, teaching is my passion. It's what I love to do. Um, no matter what capacity that's in, it's something that I feel like God has called me to do. Whether it's teaching out here at church, whether it's teaching little munchkins, little sixth graders at Woodland, whatever it is, I love it. Um, I'm also a coach. So again, teaching, it's just, it, it's what I love to do. Um, so that's why I'm here. That's why Pastor Frank gives me the opportunity to be up here, um, even though most of the time I don't deserve it. Um, but again, glad you're here. So with that being said, let's jump in. Ruth chapter one, we talked about last week, uh, Pastor Frank did. And Ruth chapter one is actually one of, I would say, probably the saddest stories in the Old Testament. If you're unfamiliar or if you weren't here last week, um, basically what happens is you have this awesome, wholesome family. It's a, a father, a mother, and then their two sons. They get up and move. Um, as Pastor Frank mentioned last week, they moved out of God's will. They moved out of where they were supposed to be. And what ended up happening was the father died. Both of the sons died, right? So the whole family is gone. All that's left is the mother and then her two daughter-in-laws that married the sons. Well, as we found out later in the story, Naomi, who was the mom, the mom's name was Naomi, she decided, I'm gonna move back to my homeland. You know, I, I have no reason to be here anymore. My sons are dead, my husband's dead. I'm a foreigner, I'm an outsider. There's really no need for me to stay in this foreign land. I wanna move back home. So she did, and she told her two daughter-in-laws, look, th this is where you guys are from. J just, just stay here. There's really no need for you to follow me. I'm, I'm just going home, you know, just stay, just stay here. Well, one of them decided to stay, and then another one, whose name was Ruth, she said, no, Naomi, we're family. I'm going to go with you back to your homeland. So they end up traveling back, and it's really sad. I can just imagine how depressing of a journey that would have been. And it even says that Naomi, when she gets back to her homeland, 
she actually changes her name from Naomi to Mara or Mara, which literally translates to the word bitterness. She's sad. She's upset. She's bitter about what's happened to her. But I can't really blame her. I would be too. If both of my sons and my husband died, I'd want to change my name to Mara too, right? I would be pretty upset and bitter as well. So that's the scene we're at here. This is where Ruth 2 picks up. You have Naomi and you have Ruth, the daughter-in-law. After all of this, they have moved back. So that's where we're going to pick up and that's where we're going to start. And that's kind of the premise and the setting and the scene of the context of Ruth 2. But before we do that, I, there, I'm trying to think how to say it in the most... Um, in the terms that make that don't make me seem like I'm really uh, like I'm really a child, um, which I kind of am, but I don't like to you know tell people that I love like things that are like motion activated, right? Like if you're in like um, like you're in a bathroom and like you, you put your hand under the water and the water just like shoots out because you like wave in front of it, or like the bathroom towels you just like wave in front of it and then they like shoot out, right? Th- those things fascinate me for some reason. Those things really intrigue me. I'm fascinated by them. But sometimes they really kind of tick me off a little bit too because if you don't hold your hand like just right or you're like searching your hand underneath the faucet, the water won't come out. And I'm just like sitting there doing this and then the man on the one next to me, he just like puts his hand underneath and it comes right out. And then I go to that one and I can't get it to work and then somebody comes behind me and it works for them. And I'm just like, okay, well, I guess there's something wrong with my hand, right? I'm fascinated by motion activated things. But they're also so frustrating. I, there was a, I used to live in an apartment complex a, a, a while ago that was gated. It had one of the motion-activated gates, right? When you pulled up to the gate, it should open. The keyword there is should open. Well, the problem is the gate that we had was very touchy. It was very sensitive. When you'd pull up to it, depending on how far away you were, it wouldn't do anything. So you'd have to stop. You'd have to like inch closer and closer and nothing would happen and it would still just stay there. So I would spend like five minutes trying to like position my car the perfect way to get in the motion sensor to open this thing, right? You had to get up to it and you had to get at a certain angle to where it caught your car or the front bumper or whatever. And it was so obnoxious. I spent forever trying to get that gate open. To this day, I still don't know the perfect position to open that gate. And I lived there for a year, okay? So I feel like, and I I can't help but feel like that analogy might be a lot of us in this room, right? And, And here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is a lot of us stop short or come so close to the edge of a door being opened for us. I feel that a lot of us are so close to a motion activated door that God wants to open for us, but we don't take the time to figure out and position ourselves exactly where we need to be to get that door to open. I feel like a lot of us feel like these doors are closed, but actually they're just camouflaged as a motion activated door that's just waiting for us to make a move. And I feel like that's a lot of us in here, but we don't take the time to sort of kind of wonder and figure out, okay, where do I need to be to get this door to open? Where do I need to be to figure out what's on the other side of that gate or on the other side of that door? We're going to talk about Ruth today, who took the time to figure out how to get that door to open, how to get that door of opportunity to open and move on to the other side. 
Because see, there were motion activated doors in her life that she thought were closed. But once she started moving, she realized, oh my gosh, it's opening. All she had to do was make a move first. And that's a lot of us. We have to make a move first, but we don't because we don't see what's on the other side. We don't see that it's opening. So if you would turn with me to Ruth chapter two, um, because that's where we're going to be starting here. We're going to start in Ruth two and we're going to read just first two verses. So remember where we're at. Remember the context we're at. Naomi and Ruth are back in their homeland. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So Naomi had a relative whose name was Boaz. So they're in the family. Um, I like in verse one, it says a man of standing. If you read other translations, it says a worthy man. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So hang on to that for me. Ruth two, uh, chat, Ruth two, verse two. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I may find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Now, something is very important here that we need to realize from the very start of the story. Ruth decides to get up and go to work. Ruth makes the conscious decision, the conscious effort to get up and go to work. And I feel like that's missed if you just kind of read over it. See, she had every reason not to get up. She had every reason to stay in her bed and feel sorry for herself. She was in a foreign land. She was an immigrant. Her husband had died. She was living with a crazy mother-in-law who changed her name to bitterness, right? She had every single reason in the world to just chill and not do anything. But she didn't. She made the decision to wake up, get up, and get out and do something. If you just read over that, you miss it. But it's important, and the reason why it's important is because most of us don't do that. Most of us don't make that conscious effort to get up and do something with our life. Most of us don't make that decision to stand up, get up, and move. Why do we do that? Why do we stay down? Why do we stay where we're at and not move? And I think the reason is because a lot of us sleepwalk through our lives. A lot of us sleepwalk through our lives and just go about what we're doing without ever trying to worry about, you know, other stuff that's going on or other things we might be able to do. It reminds me of, uh, my wife just forced me to see this movie, uh, Christopher Robin, right? Um, it was actually a really good movie though. I'm glad she forced me to see it because it was really good. Um, and Eeyore, you know, from the, all the characters, Eeyore is my favorite character because that's his attitude towards life. He gets dropped on the floor. He's like, oh, right where I belong, right? Like, that's his personality. That's a lot of us. We laugh, but we can all relate to that. He's my favorite character because I relate to that. He's my favorite character because I act like that on a daily basis. We sleepwalk through our lives and say, well, this is what I deserve. I guess I'll just make the most of it. Oh, this is what I deserve. I'm down here on the floor. I've gotten thrown in the trash. I guess that's just what I deserve. I guess I'll accept it and move on. We don't get up 
We don't wake up and take charge and say, no, that's not what's going to happen. We don't get up out of that. Because Ruth had every reason to feel that way. She had every reason to feel like she didn't want to get up, but she did. She wanted to make herself uncomfortable and go work. Now, you may be sitting here and you're saying, but Jackson, you don't, you, you, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't, you don't know my financial situation. You don't know my relationships. You don't, you, you, you don't know my family history. You know what? You're right. I don't. I don't know. But I would venture to guess if Ruth was standing here today, she would tell you, I was you. I had every reason not to move, but I did. I had every reason in the book. I had every excuse in the book to not get up, but I did. See, here's the deal. You can make excuses or you can get better, but you can't do both. You can sit here and feel sorry for yourself and make excuses about your life, or you can get up and get better, but they don't work together. You can't do both. Ruth knew that, hey, I'm going to continue to do the same thing over and over and over unless I decide to get up and do something with my life. Because here's the deal. God won't move unless you move too. You have to start the movement for God to, to, to meet you halfway, right? And you're saying, no, 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 no. It's not like that. Blessings from God are like Amazon. You just order it. They deliver it to your house with a drone and drop it on your doorstep. You don't even have to leave. It's not like that. It's not like that. You have to get up. You have to meet them. You have to meet God halfway. You have to get up and start and initiate that process. Or else you'll sit there feeling sorry for yourself. There comes a time when you have to get up out of your misery, out of your sadness, and make a move. Now, I, I promise I'm not trying to offend anyone here today. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. But look, if you're feeling that way, you need to hear this. I know, I was there. I know, I promise. When my father passed away, he passed away when I was younger, but I carried that bitterness with me for years because I spent time feeling sorry for myself that I didn't grow up with, you know, my, my, my father died and I, and I felt sorry for myself. But you know what? When I decided to wake up, get up and move, I decided, you know what? Yeah, I may not have, but I have God. I have a stepdad. I have friends. I have godly men in my life who can teach me the ways that I'm supposed to go. But it wasn't until I got up and decided to move that I felt that way. Until you can get up and realize that God has something awesome in store for you, there's blessings and opportunities right on the other side of that door. You just gotta move. You just gotta move. And Ruth knew that. Ruth knew, I can't stay here. I can't stay here and, and, and feel sorry for myself any longer. I've gotta get up and go to work. So she did. Check out what she does in verse chapter in Ruth 2, chapter 3. If we can get that on the screen, please. So she went out 
entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. Basically gleaning is when they harvest the grain, she goes behind them and picks up the stalks of grain that have fallen. Um, As it turns out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the the clan of Elimelech. So notice, harvest time is hard work. When people, when, when we say the word harvest time, everybody gets excited, like, yeah, harvest time, time to, you know, get all of the, you know, all the labor that we've done all year. Now's our time to get the benefits, the rewards, right? Well, if you ask any farmer, harvest time is the most hard time, is the hardest time. You're up really early until really late, gathering all you can, because you only have a certain period of time where you can gather everything. And if you don't, then you're going to starve in the off season. So harvest time is some of the hardest work. It's the hardest season, especially back then. See, they didn't have tractors. They didn't have machines. They didn't have tools that would help you cut down the grain. No, they had to go through and do it hand by hand. It was hard work. Notice, Ruth was out there. I can just, I can just imagine her just you know, going behind, picking up the grain, putting it in her bag. She was probably sweating. It was probably really hot. She was working long hours. She was, I can imagine she was probably crying because she was like, I miss when I didn't have to work. I miss the days when my husband was alive. So, so, so I didn't have to be out here sweating. I miss that. I miss that. She was out there to work. She wasn't out there with her cell phone, taking like selfies, like, hey, look at me working. Hey, check me out. Check out my grain, right? She wasn't doing that. She was out there actually working. She was out there working hard. Ladies, if you want men to notice you, be Ruth. Get out there and work. Don't take selfies of yourself pretending you're doing stuff. Don't try to get attention that way. It's not going to work. You're not going to attract the right kind of men that way. Be a Ruth. Get out there. She wasn't trying to get noticed. She wasn't out there like dancing around saying, hey, look at me while I pick up my grain. It's not what she was doing. She was working hard. And somebody named Boaz took notice of her. Let's check that out. Actually, before we do that, let's talk about Boaz real quick. So some translations call Boaz a worthy man. Um, And that, if you translate it back to Hebrew, it actually means gibor ha'il, which means nothing to us. But essentially, I looked it up. I Googled it. What that means is essentially it gave me a long laundry list of like descriptions of what a worthy man is. And I'm talking like, This was like a man's man. He was like a man's warrior. He was a man of wisdom. He was a man of good stewardship. He was a man of um, like, he had the best relationships. He wasn't out like, like with other women, right? Like anything you could possibly want in a man, that's what Boaz was. Every woman wanted Boaz and every man wanted to be like Boaz. He was just that guy, right? He was that guy. So Boaz was working, who who owned these fields that Ruth was working in, he took notice of her. He took notice of her. And let's look at what he says in five, in Ruth 2, 5 through 7. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, 
Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So notice what Boaz does. The first thing he does as a worthy man, a man of good standing, he asks the people around him. He doesn't say, hey, look at that woman. Look how attractive she is. He doesn't say, hey, do you see her? Do you see what she's wearing? What does he do? He asks about her life. He asks, hey, where is she from? What's her story? I want to get to know her. As a worthy man, men, that's what we should be doing. We should be looking to get to know women. We should be looking to get to know who they are, not what they are, not, not, not what they're wearing, not what they look like. But Boaz asked the godly question, hey, who are you? Who is she? Where's she from? What's she like? He was being the godly example. A worthy man, right? What we should all be. It's asking her legacy, and the people told her, or the people told him that she'd been working all day. She hadn't even took a break. This just reminds me that no matter when you think people aren't watching you, they are and God's watching you. Ruth could have been there working and she could have been, you know, not doing her best. She could have not been working her hardest. She could have been like lazily picking up the grain. She could have been like just chilling, not doing anything. And what would the overseers have responded to Boaz like? They'd been like, oh, she has an awful work ethic. She's been out here like pretending to pick up grain. She's not really working hard, right? People are watching. People are always watching you, even when you don't think they are. Your boss your significant other, your friends, people who you don't even know are watching you always to see how you are, to see how you react, to see what you're like. They're looking to you as an example. You can either be a good example or you can be a bad example. Because when people look at you and you claim to be a Christian, they're gonna say, oh, that's what a Christian is like. Whether it's good or bad, that gives, you the, that gives them the perception of what being a Christian should be. Notice, because Ruth was working with integrity, because Ruth was doing what she was supposed to do, people took notice of her. Boaz took notice of her, right? All right, let's go on to Ruth 2, 8, and 9. Let's see, Boaz, let's see Boaz's response to Ruth. So after the men told Boaz what Ruth was like, Boaz approaches Ruth. He said, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Boaz is basically telling her, look, girl, I've taken notice of you. I notice how hard you're working. I notice you're here doing what you're supposed to do. I want you here in my field. I don't want you going to any other field. I don't want you going anywhere else. I want you in my field. 
He says, if you get thirsty, girl, drink from my well. Drink from my jars. Don't be going to any other men's well. Don't be going to any other men's field if you're thirsty. Drink from my well. A lesson for all you thirsty people out there. Don't be going around to everybody else's fields and everybody else's well. Stay where you're supposed to be. Stay in one well. Because other wells won't satisfy you. No matter how thirsty you are, they won't satisfy you. You can drink all you want to from everybody else's well. But until you're at the well where you're supposed to be, you're never going to get satisfied. The other relationships won't satisfy you. The pills, the drugs, the alcohol won't satisfy you. Nothing will satisfy you except the well that you're supposed to be in when you're walking in the purpose that God has for you. That is the only well that will satisfy you. That's what was happening in here. He said, look, girl, I don't care wherever else you go. This is where you need to be. Drink from my well. This is almost like a shadow of the New Testament when Jesus says, hey, drink from my well. I give the, well, I give the water of living water. I'm the only water that can satisfy you. That's essentially what Boaz was saying here. He said, I have what will satisfy you. Don't go anywhere else. Notice what else, notice what he said. And if we can go back to verse nine, look what he said to his, um, to his workers. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. He's protecting her. He went to his men and he said, look, men, see that girl over there? That's Ruthie. That's baby Ruth over there. You don't lay a hand on baby Ruth. That's my girl. You lay a hand on her. You know how rich I am. I got fields all across this land and no one will find your body, right? That's essentially what he's saying here. He said, you don't lay a hand on baby Ruth. That's my girl. That's my girl. Why would Boaz do that? Why would he go to such lengths to protect a foreigner, an immigrant? Somebody he didn't even know. Why would he do that? Ruth had the same response. Check out verse 10. Ruth 2, verse 10. At this, she, meaning Ruth, bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me? I'm a foreigner. She said, Boaz, why? And I think it's because, in case you've forgotten, and this, this is so awesome. I, I, I love this. I love this. Boaz knew what it was like to be a foreigner. Boaz knew what it was like to be an outsider. Boaz knew what it was like to have a hard past. Do you remember who Boaz's mom is? Rahab. The prostitute, remember her that we talked about a few weeks ago? The outsider, the person who was, had to come in, who God saved because she helped the Israelites. Boaz's mom was an outsider. Boaz's mom was an immigrant. Boaz grew up knowing what it was like to feel like ostracized and excommunicated. He had a soft spot in his heart for immigrants. He had a soft spot in his heart for Ruth 
because he knew what it was like. He heard the stories growing up of his mom, Rahab, and the kind of junk she went through and how she had to work to become a part of the Israelite nation. He knew. Here's what he said. Check out the next set of verses. Boaz replied, listen, here's why. I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz is saying, look, girl, I know you got baggage. I know what happened to you. I know the kind of relationships you've had. I'm not worried about that because I can see how hard you're working for your mother-in-law. I can see how good of a worker you are. I can see God moving behind the scenes of your life. I can see it. And all I want to do is help. I want to help you do what I can to help you find favor in the eyes of God. That's, Bo, that's, a, that's being a godly man right there, right? Doing it with no strings attached. No strings attached. Ladies, again, that's the kind of man you want to find. Somebody who's not doing it for themselves. Boaz is like, look, girl, I'm not trying to get with you. I'm, I'm not trying to do any of that. I'm here to help you. I know what you've done. I know how hard your past has been. And all I want to do is help you. And notice Ruth, the question she asked, why would, why would you help me? I, I have baggage. I'm a foreigner. Why would you, why, what, are you, what are you getting out of this? She asked the godly question, right? Ladies, ask, ask men, what, what, why, why? What are you getting out of this relationship, right? Can you imagine her heart was probably a little, a little jaded from her husband's death, right? Can you imagine that? She's probably wondering like, man, why would somebody like you notice somebody like me? Ruth and Boaz are a perfect example of what godly relationships should be. But here's the deal. It never would have happened if they both weren't doing God's plan separately. Because see, Ruth got up and said, I'm gonna go work to take care of my mother-in-law. I'm gonna get up out of my misery and do what I'm supposed to do and follow God's plan. Boaz had no idea about Ruth or anything. He was just following God's plan for his life and all of a the sudden they meet. It's like Pastor Frank has mentioned before, the, the triangle effect, right? You've got one on this side, one on this side, and as they go up, they meet at the top, which is God, right? If you're following the trajectory of the path that God has for you, I promise you there will be somebody in, that God will place in your life that is doing the same on the other side to complete that triangle. Ruth would have never met Boaz if she had stayed in her bed. Ruth would have never met Boaz if she wouldn't have gotten out of her misery and gotten up. But she did. They were both doing exactly what God had planned for them, and look what happened. Let's move on to Ruth 2, 15 through 17. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. 
Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. An ephah, I don't know the exact measurement, but it's a lot. It's a ton. Check out what Boaz did. Boaz told his men, we're going to make this easy for old baby Ruth. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to take these stalks that fall and you're going to go ahead and bundle them up and lay them on the ground. So all she has to do is pick up the bundles. So she doesn't have to go through and pick up random pieces. Go ahead and bundle them up for her. Go ahead and put all of it together so she doesn't have to work as hard as she has been because I know what she's been through. She found favor in the eyes of Boaz. She found favor in his eyes. And it never would have happened if she wouldn't have gotten out of bed, if she wouldn't have gotten up and decided to do something. Because here's the deal, guys, as, as, as we close here, here, here's the deal. Ruth knew a door was so close to opening, all she had to do was make a move towards it. All Ruth had to do was get up and realize, hey, that's not a closed door. It's a motion activated door, but it won't open until I get close enough. It won't open until I position myself in the right way for God to give me that blessing and favor. Ruth would have never have been able to gather all of this grain to be able to bring back to her mother-in-law if she had not gotten up. Because in the rest of the passage, she brings the, she brings the grain home and Naomi is like, girl, where have you been? You've been gone all day. Let, let, let's girl talk. Tell me what's going on. Who did you meet? What happened? And Ruth goes, you'll never believe it. I met a guy named Boaz. And Naomi's like, oh, Boaz. He's a worthy man. He's a relative. You need to stay close to him, girl. You need to just go back to his fields every day. And Ruth goes, girl, Naomi, I'm way ahead of you, girlfriend. I know. He already told me. He already told me that I need to come back to his fields and drink from his well every day. And I can't help but think, guys, girls, people in this room are so close to that opportunity. They are so close to finding that favor. They are so close to whether it's finding your Boaz or maybe becoming a, like Boaz or maybe finding favor in God's eyes. You're so close. But the door is motion activated. That gate will only open when you step towards it to show God, hey, I'm moving in the direction you want me to go in. Because until you move, God won't move. If you, if you go look back at all of the miracles in the Old Testament or, or go to Hebrews in the Faith Hall of Fame that we talked about where all of these awesome things have been done, there is nothing, there is nowhere in there, there is no story that happens where God just blesses people without them doing something first. Nowhere. When God parted the Red Sea, Moses had to walk up. He had to do something first. He had to step to it for it to open. 
We have to step to that motion activated door. We have to step to that motion activated gate to get it to open, to see the opportunity that God has for us. But until we do that, we're just gonna lay in our bed and wallow in our misery and sadness and bitterness, change our name to Mara and say, God, why? There's a time for that. There's a time for you to grieve. There's a time for you to sleep. Sure, there's a time for you to weep, even cry. But then there's a time for you to wake up. There's a time for you to get up. There's a time for you to get up, get out and get moving. And until you do that, you're gonna continuously be in the same place you have been for days, weeks, months, years. So if there's one thing I can encourage you today by looking at the life of Ruth, take her example, get up and get out. Wake up, stop sleepwalking through your life and take charge. Stop sleepwalking, stop being an Eeyore through your life and saying, oh no, here it is. Stop doing that, you're better than that. God wants better for you than that. God, God did not create you to just survive. He created you to thrive, but that's not gonna happen until you get up. Ruth had every reason not to. And I know some people in this room, you, you have every reason, you have every excuse not to get up. And I know that. And I realize that, trust me, I do. I know it's hard. I am not saying it's easy. I've been there but you gotta get up, you gotta do something, please. Take an example from Ruth, because not only did she find favor with Boaz, the rest of this um, in Ruth three and four, God has so much more in store for her than just that. This is just the tip of the iceberg. That motion activated door has just barely opened a little bit. She hasn't even walked through it yet. That's how much God was gonna bless her. That's how much was on the other side. But until you get to that point where you position yourself just right for that gate to open, you're not gonna get there. So I beg you and I urge you and I, and I, and I pray for everybody in this room to get up, get out and get moving like Ruth. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, Jackson, that's me. I, I, I am Ruth. I have no reason to get out of bed. I, I feel like I'm, I'm laying on the floor. Like I'm Eeyore. I feel like I've accepted where I'm supposed to be. You're wrong, my friend. God has so much more in store for you than that. And if you're saying, well, I, I don't, I don't know who God is. That's why I feel that way. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't, I, I don't know what that's like to feel like I have something inside me that will lift me up, that will give me a reason to get out of bed. I don't feel that, I don't have that. And you came to the right place because God is all over this room this morning. I promise you, I can feel it. He is all in this room right now. So if you're sitting there and that's you, what we're gonna do in a second is, is, is we're gonna pray and I'm gonna tell you exactly how to get that reason to wake up. 
And if for some reason you have that reason to get up already, you know Jesus, you found God, you're saved, but maybe you've just forgotten. Maybe you've just forgotten the reason as to why you're, you're here, you're living. Maybe you've accepted your place and just surviving for too long. And if that's you, I encourage you during this time when we pray to seek God, ask him, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Because I am tired of sleeping. I am tired of sleepwalking through my life. I wanna get up, get out and get moving towards the blessings and favor you have for me like Ruth.